Let's begin in prayer. Why don't you close your eyes and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place this morning. We pray that you'd speak to every heart here today. May you just open our hearts to you this morning. We pray that you speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Before we get started into the crux of the message, I just wanted to encourage you a little bit because I had, I had a thought about <coughs> preaching and, and listening to preaching during the week and, uh, and I wanted to share that with you. I don't know if you've ever noticed that sometimes when people are preaching, other people, strange people to the left and to the right of you and in front of you and behind you, they, they kind of make noises whilst people are preaching and they say, uh, uh, good, it's good, it's good preaching. And you sort of start thinking, why do they keep talking? He's talking. We're not meant to be talking. But <coughs> what it is, is it's, it's making it a conversation, uh, not just a speech. And my thought was this. I think listening to preaching is like getting a massage. And we've got a lot of masseuses in the house this morning. And so they're going to understand what I mean and Chris is one of the best examples of this. Chris does massage. I think maybe that has something to do with it. But when you talk to Chris, he says, Mmm, it's good. Mmm, wow. He says, wow. And when he says that, you, you get really encouraged, you know. And so it's like getting a massage. Because when, when Kirsty and I first got together and got married and started dating, I can't remember when it first started to happen. But Kirsty gets really tight across her shoulders and so she seems to always need a massage and so her chiropractor told her that I have to give her massages so <coughs> I've got this kind of begrudging obligation to give her massages and what I've discovered is that as I massage Kirsty's shoulders there's a couple of things that can happen Either she can say, no, it's not good, it's not good, it's not good. And I just get really discouraged really quickly and I think, well, well, stuff it then. I'm not a good massager. Or she can say, oh, yes, that's good. You hit the spot there, yes, that's it. Mm. So I've adopted this because sometimes I like to turn the tables and get a massage from Kirsty. So what I started to do is as soon as she starts to massage, I start making noises. Mmm. Yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. And when she hits a spot that is really getting a knot, I say, oh, that's the spot. That's good. That's it. Right there. That's it. Right? If I don't say that, she'll go on to a different spot and she won't work out the knot. Right? So listening to preaching is like getting a good massage but you have to do the work to make the massage better. So if somebody says something that's good, you've got to say, mmm, that's good. That's good preaching. Oh, you hit the spot. That's the spot right there. Work that knot. That's right. Very good. So let's do a practice this morning before we start. Jesus is the king of the world. Mmm, that's good. That's good. Uh... God saves us. Oh, mm, that's good preaching. We've got to get better at listening to preaching. 
Oh, that's good preaching. Very good. Very good. I got Bill's spot back there. See, that's good because now I know. Work that knot. So, we've started this year off getting into the meat of the gospel. And we're doing a series called Gospel Detox. In the first week of Gospel Detox, we discover that the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z. And it's vital at every stage of our walk with Jesus. In the second week, we discovered that that was good, wasn't it? Mm, thank you. In the second week, we discovered that, uh, that Paul has authority from God and the gospel has authority from God and we carry that same authority. In the third week, uh, two weeks ago, we discovered what is the gospel. We discovered the gospel is the good news that God sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be rescued and set free. That's good. So we're doing this series, Gospel Detox. I love that title. We're detoxing our gospel. Often if you go on a detox diet, people do it because they want to give their digestive system some cleaning. It's been digesting a whole bunch of crap, right? And which can cause all sorts of problems with your digestion. And if that causes problems, it can cause problems in all areas of your life. And so they do a detox where they go back to basics and they, they eat and drink only unprocessed things to clean out their digestive system. We're going together on a gospel detox diet because our belief system, digestive system, belief system, sometimes needs cleaning. It's been digesting a whole bunch of crap from the world and it causes all sorts of problems in our belief system and in many other areas of our lives. And so we need a detox diet, a gospel detox diet to go back to the basics and to clean out our belief system. So who's with us this morning? Fantastic. Come on. See, I'm excited to preach now. Awesome. Good. This week... We're going to be talking about gospel revision. There's a lot of R's in my message, a lot of R words. We're talking about the risk and reward of gospel revision. And if someone can, is good at multitasking, you can count the amount of R words that I got into this message and just be thankful that you know I put all that effort in. I don't know if it's going to do anything, but there's lots of R words, so hallelujah. The word revision... There's two ways to revise. Well, there's two ways to, uh, two meanings to revision. Now, I'm aware that a message title with the word revision in it is just a bit boring. It sounds boring, doesn't it? I know I'm with you because when I went to university, I deliberately chose all of the subjects that I could find without exams. I hated doing exams because I hated revising for the exams. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Am I just supposed to go and sit and read over all of the notes that I've made that I've already learned? I hadn't learned them, and that's why I didn't do well at exams. That's why I deliberately chose all the subjects without any exams. So there's two ways to revise. One is you can revise like you revise for a test or an exam. So you go back and you relearn what you once learnt and commit it to memory. 
The second way to revise is the way that you revise an assignment. All the university students this morning said, I know what you're talking about. When you revise an assignment, you go back to what you've done and you fix it up. You edit things, you take things out, you add things, you check the references, and you adjust it and add to it to make it better. So essentially, you're changing it when you revise it. When you revise for a test, all you're doing is relearning what you've learned in the first place. This morning, the title of the message is The Risk and Reward of Gospel Revision. I'm aware that the word revision is boring, but here's why I'm preaching this message. Because when it comes to gospel revision, one way of revising has the power to change our lives. The other way of revising completely reverses God's life-changing power in our lives. And so this is important stuff. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is important. I'm going to start by talking about the first kind of revision, risky revision. This is the kind of revision you do when you do an assignment. You go back and you change things, you edit things, you add to it. And this is the kind of revision that some of us do with the gospel. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 to 9. The Apostle Paul is talking to the Galatian church and he says this, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following, pay attention to this, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. Wow. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone. This is how serious he takes it, including us, even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Let's revisit that verse. It says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You see, the Galatian church had revised the gospel like you revise an assignment. They went back to the original and they said, oh, that's not quite right and we'll change that and we'll add this and we'll edit this. They got their references wrong. And so Paul's saying, if you add something, he says, he says, you've got a different way that pretends to be the good news. It's not the good news at all. So Paul's saying, if you add something to the gospel, you completely destroy the original. It's not the original plus something else. It's no longer any good. You see, Paul had shared the gospel with them. None of us are perfect. We all need to be saved from our sin. God sent Jesus to die on the cross to rescue us from our sin, be made acceptable before God. And then someone else came along and said, plus, you should follow the Jewish law. If you want to make yourselves extra acceptable before God, you need to follow our customs. So they came and edited, they revised, another R word, who's tallying? They revised (coughs) the gospel like an assignment. It's like my friend who is a vegetarian and he traveled to China. He went to Guangzhou 
and uh, and he said he loved it there. It was it was a wonderful place, and he said, but it was difficult for him being a vegetarian, trying to find food on the streets because he's a very adventurous kind of guy and he likes to go and try new things. And this story works better if I do a Chinese accent. So just forgive me on that one. <coughs> I've got smiles from our Chinese brothers and sisters, so I'm going to take that as and that's okay. <laughs> so, so he was telling us a story about how he, you know, he goes up to the, the street vendors and he says, uh, what food have you got? No meat. I'm, I'm a vegetarian, so no meat. I said, no problem, no problem. This one vegetarian, this one vegetarian, this one vegetarian. He said, okay, what are they? This one, blah, 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 this one, blah, blah, this one, blah. Okay, I have that one. He said, yeah, yeah, no, okay, oh, no problem, no problem. No meat, no meat, no meat. Just a little bit of chicken. <laughs> okay, so here's my point. <laughs> If you add chicken to a vegetarian meal, it's no longer a vegetarian meal. It's not a vegetarian meal plus some chicken. It's just not vegetarian. It's a meal with meat. It's like a vacuum. If you have a vacuum, with, a vacuum is just a space that's contained with no air at all. If you have a vacuum and you, you add some air and you say, it's an air-enriched vacuum, it's a 90% it's a vacuum. No, it's just no longer a vacuum at all. And so that's what Paul's trying to get out here. He's saying you can't have Jesus saves us plus be a good person. Jesus saves us plus you have to obey the law. Jesus saves us plus anything is different. It's a way that pretends to be the good news and that means it's not good news at all. That is the risk of gospel revision when you revise it like an assignment. You see, if you revise the gospel and change it, you lose the reward. Why? Because the true gospel requires you to put your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, and that's all. If you add to the gospel and add any other prerequisite to the salvation, whatever you're adding, you have to put your faith in that thing to save you instead of in Jesus to save you. And whatever that is, I can tell you now, it won't save you. So next Sunday, Pastor Chris is going to be preaching about, uh, talking about how we lose the gospel today in today's church. That's going to be a brilliant message. So come along and listen to that. I think he's excited about finding out what it is as well. So don't miss out next week. We're going to hear about how the gospel uh, is lost today. And it's relevant to us because we want to make sure we don't lose it. <laughs> so how do we avoid the risk of gospel revision but receive the reward instead? The second way of doing revision is rewarding revision. Rewarding revision is like test revision or exam revision. You're not, you're not trying to add anything or change anything or edit anything. You're going back to the original and you're rediscovering, you're relearning, you're reminding yourself of what you have already learned. That is rewarding revision. You relearn the things that you've forgotten. And that's the kind of uh, rev gospel revision 
that Paul calls us to do. Check this out. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 4, it says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. So these guys are doing a bit better than the Galatians. It's this good news that saves us if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Have you ever taken notes in class and then months later you come back to your notes and you do some revision and you discover that you actually had it wrong in the first place? Right. So he says... Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. You see, he's encouraging the church in Corinth, always remember the gospel message. That's the gospel revision that we need to be doing. Reminding ourselves of God's grace, of God's great love for us, of, of Jesus' sacrifice. So, it's like you need to go back and revise your notes. And some of us this morning may discover that we've got in our original notes, in our original thoughts, things that we mistook notes of. Or, 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 or we thought was the truth, but maybe we missed a lecture. Who knows? May, but some of us may discover that we've, got <laughs> that we've got some flaws in our notes. And if that's the case, if you're comparing it to the original truth material, you can edit it. So I want to give you this morning five things that the gospel is not. If you've got any of these knots in your notes, you need to... If you, oh! He got it and I wasn't even saying it. That's the Holy Spirit working right there. Okay, so if you've got any of these knots in your notes, you need to scrub out those knots. So these are five things that the gospel is not. What the gospel is, is the good news that saves us. Here's five things the gospel is not. Number one, the gospel is not the Bible. What? If I ask some people, what is the gospel? Some would say, well, the gospel is the Bible. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And that's true, except for the part about the gospel is the Bible. <laughs> gospel means good news, right? So while the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it might all be good, it's not all good news. Psalm 9, verse 17 says this, the wicked will go down to the grave. This is the fate of all nations who ignore God. It's not great news. It's good in context, but it's not that good news, is it? I mean, if you went to Rundle Mall, and you stood up on a soapbox and you said, men, women of Adelaide, I have good news. Let's have the scripture up again. The wicked will go down to the grave. This is the fate of all the nations who ignore God. I would say, not great news. So, 
the gospel is in the Bible, but the Bible is not the gospel. I had a friend come to me who was frustrated with one of his other friends because he just was being a total dick. <laughs> and, and he came to me frustrated and he said, he's just doing this, he's doing this wrong, he's doing this wrong, he's got such a stinking attitude in this area of his life. He said, you know what he needs? I said, what does he need? He said, he needs the Bible. And there was something that irked me on the inside because I know my friend at the time had had this revelation about reading the scriptures and, and being led by God's instruction. And so his whole life had been turned around because he'd submitted himself to the authority of the Bible. But for him to say to me, you know what he needs to sort his life out? He needs the Bible. There's something inside me that said, well, no, he doesn't. He needs the God of the Bible. He needs the gospel inside the Bible. Because why would we start behaving ourselves if we don't first believe in the God who sent His Son to rescue us from the penalty of the sin that holds us back? Two of my Facebook friends are currently reading the Bible to laugh at it. And they post about it and they say, just found this ridiculous verse in the Bible, still full of rubbish. Unless they have a revelation of the God of the Bible and the gospel message while they read, reading Leviticus will not turn their life around. So, reading the Bible will not save you. That is not the gospel. Number two thing that the gospel is not. The gospel is not the commandments. The gospel is not simply a message from God telling you how to behave. Some would say, if you know and keep God's commandments, then you'll be saved. They might be right, but introduce me to somebody who's kept all of God's commandments. The only person I know of is Jesus. You see, the law is not the gospel. The law is the opposite of the gospel. The law was given to us as a mirror so that we might see our own imperfection and recognize that we need a savior. We often think, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person, right? Who's ever thought that before? I certainly thought that before I became a Christian. I thought, well, I'm all right. I'm not doing too badly. I'm a pretty good person. But when we look at the commandments, we see, wow, we all fall short of God's glory. I mean, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't covet. They're just a, some of the top four that are easy to fail. Don't lie. I used to be a terrible liar. I used to lie about all sorts of things. I used to come home from the shops. I didn't even know why. Mum would say, what did you buy? I said, I bought this. She said, how much would it cost? I'd always knock off $5. <laughs> I don't know why. I think maybe because I didn't want her to be disappointed in me or something. What a stupid lie. But we've all done it. Don't commit adultery. Well, that's, I'm not even married. I am married, but you might be thinking, I'm not even married. I, how can I commit adultery? Well, Jesus says, if you have lustful thoughts about somebody, then you've committed adultery in your mind. Oh, well, then I've committed adultery with heaps of people. <laughs> I love the way Andy Kabbalah talks about it. He said, that's what his youth leader told him. He came to the youth group for girls. 
And he said, do you know that Jesus says that if you have lustful thoughts in your mind about somebody, then you've committed adultery with that person? He says, really? Well, I've committed adultery with her and her and her and her and her and her and her. Don't murder. That's not so bad. Except that Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, then you may as well have committed murder. Four. This guy's really hard to live up to. Don't covet. Don't, don't desire the things that your neighbor has. I mean, how difficult is that when someone else gets the new iPhone before you do? It's tricky. Many people think, if I'm a good person, I'll be acceptable to God and I can go to heaven when I die. They're basically doing the good person test. But how good is good enough? Do you just have to be better than Hitler? Because on the good person test, he's pretty low. But if you put Mother Teresa on the good person test, she's all the way up here. So are you as good as Mother Teresa? You're kind of maybe in the middle, but I'm better than him. And I'm better than her. She's a bit better than I am. He's a bit better than I am. What are you judging by? The problem is, the good person test, all of us are not good enough. The standard of the good person test is not the person to the left of you, is not the person to the right of you. The standard is Jesus. And none of us match that standard. None of us meet the standard of God. And so God doesn't use our comparison system. He compares us to His perfection and none of us pass. And so obeying the commandments isn't the requirement for salvation. The gospel is not the commandments. Number three thing that the gospel is not. The gospel is not repentance. The gospel is not a call to repent or to change your ways. It's not a call to pay for your sins or to promise to do better in the future. A lot of us want it to be repentance because we think, yes, I've got to do better. And that makes us feel like we're contributing something. There's very little in the gospel about us. They're all good, those things, repenting and asking for forgiveness, trying to change your ways. But they all have their place and they're not the gospel. The gospel is not good advice to be followed. It's good news to be believed. Let me say that again. The gospel is not good advice to be followed. The gospel is good news to be believed. Many people think that sin is the enemy of their salvation. I've sinned so much recently. I wonder if I'm not saved anymore. I wonder if I've sinned enough that I've tipped over the edge of not being saved. You know when you feel like, oh, you just feel like all of your sin is pouring down and you think, my goodness, I am so not good enough for God. As if you were good enough earlier. <laughs> and, and all of your sin is on top of you and you think, man... I'm probably far enough away from God to not be saved anymore. As if, as if more sin equals less salvation. That's totally skewed theology. You see, God's love is bigger. God's grace is greater than any sin, no matter how big or how bad or how many times you may have committed it. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for every sin. 
And so there is no amount that you can, this is dangerous preaching territory, there is no amount of sinning that you can do that undoes God's sacrifice. There is no amount of sinning you can do that undoes your salvation because your salvation is about the gospel and it's not about repentance. And so your greatest challenge is not your discipline or your devotion or your duty to God. It's not about you trying to do better, to be better, to work harder. Your greatest challenge is to believe the gospel. You turning from your sins doesn't save you. Number four, the gospel is not giving up the world. Many people think that the gospel is so difficult because it means you have to give up the whole world. Give up bad habits, form new ones, form better ones. Now, giving up the world might be an appropriate response to the gospel, but giving up the world is not the gospel. See, you could do all of those things. You could give up the whole world. You could never indulge yourself in any pleasure. You could live as a hermit until you die, never discover the gospel, and never be saved. And so giving up the world is not the gospel and it will not save you number five the gospel is not going to church maybe attendance will drop next week many people think well christians go to church so going to church must make you a christian i once heard someone say going to church makes you a christian about as much as going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It doesn't. You see, we love to welcome people into our community, but the truth is that you could be part of the furniture. You could be around for years and years and years and never believe the gospel because it's your choice. On the flip side, you could have... You could be from a different background, a different culture, a different race. You could not understand the language. You could have a completely different personality to everybody here and feel like you don't fit in at all. And yet, you can be a brother and sister. You can be a son or daughter of God. If you believe the gospel, you can be saved. But being, a, being in church, being part of a church, doesn't save you. Here's what the gospel is. I, to continue Nathan's sport analogy... I don't play a lot of sport, to be honest. But when I watch sport, um, I see it from a filmmaker's perspective. And I start thinking about, hmm, I wonder how many cameras they've got on the field. And I wonder how long it took them to edit this sequence. And I find in sport an amazing picture of God's grace. And it's in the highlights reel. You see... At the end of someone's career or at a special milestone in a career, often they'll show highlights reels of people's career. So if you put together a highlights reel of Michael Jordan's career, you would show every great shot that Michael Jordan made and you would cut out all of the mistakes, all of the fumbles, all of the missed shots that he did. But imagine if you were the person who'd never heard of Michael Jordan I've got to use old references because that's when I was a kid and I used to watch more, you know. I don't know who the new people are. Imagine if you sat down and you'd never seen any sport before. Someone explained the rules to you and they showed you the highlights clip of Michael Jordan's career. You would think, wow, Michael Jordan 
never misses a shot. He always gets a goal. Jesus is our highlights reel editor. So we live our life, our whole career. And we die, and we get judged when we die. If we've put our faith in Jesus, he cuts together a highlights reel for God. In Isaiah, God says, I will blot out every mistake. So he's cutting up all of our life into a highlights reel. And he says, God, check out Kirsty's life. And he hits play on the highlights reel. And it doesn't matter how many times she missed the mark. It doesn't matter how many times she missed the goal. God watches the highlights reel and he says, wow, Kirsty never misses a shot. That's God's grace in action. Jesus' sacrifice means that our sins are not remembered. They're forgotten. So we get a highlights reel at the end of our life. And based on that, the good person test, if you want to do it then, you're welcome to. Because God can look at that reel and think, she's perfect, she's holy, she's righteous. But only because Jesus cut together our highlights reel. No one else has the authority to do that. Oh, that's good preaching. <laughs> Any gospel that doesn't rely 100% on God's grace is a works gospel. A works gospel is no gospel at all. We need to keep coming back to the gospel of grace, not just for us, but for other people. There's someone that I've been discipling for some time, and a little while ago, they came to me and... and they were overwhelmed with pressure. They just thought, you know, I'm supposed to be at church and read my Bible and pray and I've got to do this and you're teaching me about how to get organized and all these things. And I just, it's too much pressure. And when I looked back on what I'd been doing, how I'd been leading them and sharing with them and teaching them, my heart broke because I saw, man, I've been putting the focus on the wrong thing. I haven't been coming back to the gospel enough. You see, I think we're all tempted to do this when we disciple people, when we lead people, when we, when we share with our friends and our family. We say, hey, you should read the Bible. The Bible's got great stuff in it. Or we say, you should come to church. Or we say, you should turn away from your old habits. They're bad habits. Or we say... You should just give up the world. You should start following the commandments. And we forget the gospel at the center of it all. The gospel is the reason that you would do those things. And so I looked back and I saw, my goodness, I've been saying, you know, it starts with like, hey, like, you know, it starts with a decision to follow Christ. And then I started to lump things on them. I said, hey, and also don't be late, you know, because that's not a good characteristics so don't be late and get organized and 
use your calendar and be good at communicating and come to church every Sunday, come to Connect Group. You should probably come to prayer meeting and uh, you should pray a lot. You should read your Bible. You should study the Bible. You should get a study version of the Bible. You should do at least an hour a day if you want to love Jesus. And you should also share with your friends about the gospel and you should uh, talk to everyone you know about it and you should uh, get a good job and stick with the job and then don't give up the job and earn money and do make wise decisions and all of a sudden you've gotten so far away from the core and the center and the whole reason we were doing this thing in the first place that people feel like, oh my gosh, I'm under so much pressure, I can't possibly handle this. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And the way to make it easy, the way to make it light is to accept the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And it's God's grace working through, God's grace working through us that lifts us up. And so we have to be careful that we don't get distracted when we're talking to our friends and our family and when we're discipling people and just trying to make replicas of ourself. I'm preaching to myself here. You've just heard the story. In, in our weakness, God is made perfect. God's power is made perfect. And so, so I'm exposing my weakness to you this morning, a mistake that I've made, so that you wouldn't make the same mistake. Because we can get so focused on all the things that you have to do and forget to keep bringing people back to the gospel. This is the gospel revision that we should be doing all the time. Going back to it like you're studying, studying for a test, remembering what you once learned. And so I want to end with this. I want to end by helping you share the gospel. Because we, ha- we had a group of people in our house recently and, and, uh, and I asked them, hey, if someone came to you and they said, I want to become a Christian, what, what would you do? What would you do? Because I came to a friend of mine. I, d- I, I decided, I think I want to become a Christian. Before I was a Christian, I decided that. And I went to my Christian friend and I said, hey, want to become a Christian. And he laughed at me because I'd been anti-Christian for, you know, like literally like two hours earlier. <coughs> and he said, are, are you being serious? I was like, yeah, I'm being serious. He goes, oh, I don't know how to do it. What good is that? What would you do if someone came to you and they said, hey, I want to become a Christian? Um... And then you try and think back to last Sunday and that section at the end of the service where they invite people to, and then you say to them, ah, uh, sit down. And they sit down and you say, okay, now close your eyes. <laughs> and you say, uh, if there's anyone here who wants to give their life, <laughs> put your hand up. See, it's something like that. No. Liz, can you hand out those brochures for you? This is what we share with people if someone makes a decision for Christ. It just simply explains what the gospel is. And so I want you to take this and I want you to have a look at it. Just consider, maybe, maybe you can take it home and have a look at it. Just consider, what would you do if someone came to you and said, hey, I want to become a Christian. Because you're a Christian, you've got Jesus in your life, so you can share him with other people. <laughs> don't say, I don't know. If you don't know, fine, but quickly 
call up someone else and say, someone wants to become a Christian, what am I supposed to do? Phone a friend. You can phone a friend. That's what my friend did. He said, in the morning, we'll go and speak to a bunkhouse leader, and he's really good with this sort of stuff. He'll lead you through it. And what they did is they, they brought me into a dorm room where they could talk privately. He was playing mini golf at the time. I said, I'll oh, finish your mini golf game. You know, I don't want to disturb you just because I want to become a Christian. He said, no, no, no. What if Jesus comes back in the next 10 minutes, the second coming? You've got to be sorted so you can get your way into heaven. So they brought me into the dorm room and they explained the gospel to me. They shared about how Jesus died for our sins and then they prayed with me. It was a very simple prayer and I prayed as well. And so I want to share that with you this morning. If someone asks you, I want to become a Christian, what do I have to do? It's really simple. Number one, share the gospel. Jesus died for your sins so you could be made right with God. And number two, pray with them. Alpha, we were doing Alpha training the other day, they said it's really easy. Just remember, sorry, thank you, please. Everyone say it after me. Sorry, thank you, please. God, I'm sorry for what I've done in the past. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Please come into my life. Sorry, thank you, please. That's good preaching. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning, if you're here and you, and you haven't made a decision to accept the gospel, to be rescued by Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to do that. And I would like to pray that prayer with you. Sorry, thank you, and please. Jordan, I'll get you up. If you could just close your eyes, we are going to do that, because I want people to not be concerned about what the people to the left and to the right of them are thinking. And I just want you to consider... If you this morning want to respond to the gospel, if you want to accept the salvation that Jesus paid for, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand so that I can see it and say, Brennan, I want to be saved. You know, you might be like me. You might look at all the rules and think, there's no way I can live up to that. Well, None of us can live up to that. You don't have to. That's why Jesus died. So if you're here this morning and you, and you want to accept the gospel, you want to believe in Jesus, I'd love to pray a prayer with you. So if you're here this morning and you want to do that, would you just lift up your hand and say, Brendan, that's me. I want to have Jesus in my life.
last five minutes of the service. I want us to just spend some time in God's presence, allowing the gospel message, the grace of God, to refill us with His love. Because God's grace is not just for the beginning of our walk with Jesus, it's for the whole journey. And it empowers us and it fills us and it strengthens us. And this is the kind of gospel revision that we need to be doing, coming back to the truth of the gospel. And so I want us to just spend a couple of minutes with our eyes closed. Maybe you want to lift your hands. We're just going to welcome God's presence. Welcome His Holy Spirit. And allow His grace to fill us.
thank you that the gospel means that you come, your grace fills us, your grace works in us. Thank you, Father.